Welcome to When Pigs Fly, a podcast that uncovers Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to prost to future innovation. Welcome to our very first episode of When Pigs Fly. I'm one of the co-hosts, Allie Martin. I'm Patrick Bailey. And we're so excited. I know, finally, finally. Six months in the making. Six months, and we're finally launching this. I know, super excited, and I think it's very apropos for today, right? Like, I know I'm kind of stealing your thunder on this fact, but, you know. No, I love it. It is. very apropos today. For those who don't know, okay, we are recording this on December 28th, so you're listening to this sometime in January, or even later, I don't know, but December 28th is Cincinnati's Technically, this year's 232nd birthday. So we were discovered on December 28th in 1788, led by Robert Patterson, who also founded Lexington, Kentucky. And we were originally called Los Santiville. We did not switch over to the name Cincinnati until 1790. But it fits, right? We're really trying to I, incorporate I swear, history. if we were Los Santiville, I don't know. That would just be weird. Like, like I'm from Los Santiville. Like, Los Santiville. Do you know <laughs> what that's supposed to mean? Isn't it like across the mouth of the river or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Town opposite the mouth. Hey, which my is Cincinnati history looking. from like fourth grade is kicking in. We're good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so It's so suiting though, right? Because as we discover and talk to more people, and learn more about the businesses and how we've gotten to where we are. We don't know where we've gotten without knowing the past. So I think that's really big for us is to yeah, and you think dive into history. When you and I were coming up with the concept for this podcast, we the history was a huge part of it. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, informed us about what businesses are doing today. And hopefully it could give us insight of what businesses here in Cincinnati need to be doing in the future in order for Cincinnati to compete on a global scale. And I think, you know, it's, that's something that you and I are passionate about is, you know, our hometown and making sure that we are going to be around for the long haul, you know, rather than just some blip on the radar. 100%. And I think the best way for us, too, to start off this podcast is really creating that foundation of, you know, where we've been and how we've gotten here. And who better to talk to than Mr. Greg Hand himself, if anyone uh, is familiar with him or knows him, knows that he's kind of the guru of Cincinnati history. He constantly writes for Cincinnati Magazine. He does Cincinnati Curiosities for Cincinnati Lifestyle. And he's graduated from the University of Cincinnati. He worked 36 years as communications and PR for UC. And he's been all over. And in his retirement, he writes his Cincinnati Curiosities blog, Quote, to keep alive the weird soul of the Queen City, which I think is so fitting. It so is. it'll be really, really exciting to kind of pick his brain mm-hmm. about the history here. Yeah, definitely. And I definitely want to learn how do you become a guru on Cincinnati? Like <laughs> you read a lot of books. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm super excited to see his perspective and definitely how it can inform us and help us today. 100 percent All right. Well, with that said, get this interview going. Okay. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. You are kind of right out the gate. You're going to be our (laughs) our first go-to guy. Couldn't think of anybody better to start this conversation with than Greg Hand, who seems to be the uh, the guru of Cincinnati. So thank you so much for taking yeah, the time to do this. Yeah, I think I asked Allie, <laughs> how do you become a guru of Cincinnati? <laughs> you know, you, you just kind of stay in one place and say the same thing. 
and you develop a <laughs> reputation. <laughs> you have great stories is really what that comes down to. Which I'm excited to hear. Yeah, let's. I guess let's, you know, just to even start and backtrack a little bit, give us a little bit of a background as to how you came to grow your knowledge about Cincinnati and all of the surrounding neighborhoods. I guess it goes back. I started out uh, as a printer. I was 16 years old. We printed newspapers. Eventually, when I got out of college, uh, they offered me a job as a reporter. And it was uh, uh, the Western Hills Press, which is oh, uh, yeah, still in <laughs> existence, but uh, very much different from mm-hmm. when I worked there. A lot of the people told me stories about the history of, of the area. And, and some of them told me stories about the history of other places. For instance, uh, have you ever heard of the Donischwaben? No. What is the Donischwaben? The Donischwaben were Germans who were invited to live on the Danube River. And eventually there was political turmoil. So they all came to the United States and a lot of them came to Cincinnati. And so one of the Oktoberfests in Cincinnati is run by the Donischwaben. And so I'd go out and talk to these people and, and they would tell me these stories about what life was like under the czar in Russia and, uh, and that kind of thing. And now, now it's their history here on the west side of Cincinnati. And they were very sweet people. Every time I did a, a story on them in the newspaper, I'd get a little package in the mail and they would hand embroider handkerchiefs and oh, stuff and, nice and send them to me. And so, and so I started putting a, a history collection together at the newspaper. Had a couple of books and mm-hmm. um, for some reason, people would give us photographs and that, and I'd put them all in the collection. One photograph that I distinctly remember being in the collection was pretty much everybody from Westwood, all the, all the men from Westwood, all the mm-hmm. businessmen from Westwood wow. uh, dressed in dresses. Uh, for, for, drag before and, drag was a thing. <laughs> yes, for, 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 a, for a group photo, uh, th- this kind of thing. And so it started out then. Now, the tragic thing is some years later, there, there was a wonderful trivia show that was broadcast on radio station WAIF. Mm. And uh, we got a team together to play on this trivia show. It involved calling in. You needed, you needed to get a phone line to call in. And so we met at the old newspaper office, uh, which had lots of telephones so we could call into the show. And when I got there, I started looking for my history collection and discovered that sometime in the five years since I'd left, they'd thrown it all out. Oh, snap. <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's kind of the origin of it. When, when I was working at the newspaper, I worked with a guy named Jack Metz, who is mm-hmm. uh, still alive. Jack is 91 now, still drives, stay off the roads. Oh, uh, <laughs> is he on the west side or the east side? Because that'll uh, help he's, us out he's, a little he's, bit. He's, he's on the west side, but the last time I was in a car with him, we drove to the east side. <laughs> uh, but Jack had worked for Cincinnati Bell. And as we would drive around doing newspaper stuff, he would we'd pay us a uh, telephone switching center and he'd tell me stories about Cincinnati Bell. He told me Mm. why it was one of the Kilgore's broken feet that led to the creation of Cincinnati Bell. 
he would tell me that Cincinnati Bell invented round manhole covers. And, and you know, uh, all, all of this stuff kind of checked out, you know. And I, I, I decided, you know, wherever I worked, I was going to learn everything. Yeah. I, I was going to be like Jack Metz. I was going to learn everything I could possibly learn. And so shortly good. after that, I got a job at the University of Cincinnati and fell in with uh, a person that you also ought to be talking to at some point named Kevin Grace. He's the university's archivist. Kevin has published maybe 20 books on Cincinnati history. Oh, wow. uh, everything from the Irish to boxing to the Cincinnati Reds to the Over the Rhine. Kevin just has all, all sorts of, of history. And so between the two of us, we discovered a lot, of, a lot of history about UC. And in the course of doing that, I kept running into things that did not have anything to do with UC. And so I would just put them in a file thinking, one of these yeah. days, this is going to come in handy. And so when I retired, I took that file and I started a blog. And I figured, well, I've got, I don't know, 30 things in the file so if I do one a week, maybe I can do this for a year and that'll be it. And look at where you are now. And, and so it's been six years. Wow. And, and I'm still kind of doing one thing a week and I still keep running into things. So Do people give you those things or are you act actively searching for I, those? I love it when people ask questions because people will ask me a question. I'll have no idea what the hell they're talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but it, it gets me curious and, and then I start looking for things. And what I've discovered is you find the best things when you're looking for something else. Yeah. So inventions tend to be that way too. <laughs> yeah. I guess. Okay. So with that said, you know, the big, big reason why we have you on and we want to talk to you is because you have a really, really great knowledge, as you said, from the 1850s, 1850 to about 1920 of how the city came to be and really the industries that grew and created the city. And, you know, right. we're a firm believer of you, you can't move forward. You, you don't know what's going to be happening in the future, but it's really great to know what's happened in the past in order to move forward. And we would love for you to kind of break down a little bit the major industries that Cincinnati was founded on and the foundation on how we got to kind of where we are today, especially in establishing in, you know, the 1800s and the early 1900s. Okay, the you know you have to start out with Porkopolis. Yeah, and that, that's where you that's have to start. <laughs> yeah. When pigs fly, this is a wonderful. Yeah, intro. you have to start out with Porkopolis, and by starting out with Porkopolis, by the way, it gets into your question about how you develop this knowledge base, because one of the things that you learn when you look into the whole Porkopolis thing is how connected industries are in Cincinnati, mm -hmm. and. In order to understand Cincinnati, you have to understand how these industries connected. So we talk about Porkopolis as having to do with pigs. And obviously, pigs were a big part of this. You, you, you had farmers totally surrounding Cincinnati, and they were growing corn. Mm -hmm. And it's really expensive to harvest corn and then haul corn any distance at all. It's a bulky, low-cost sort of thing. 
So what you're going to do if you grow a lot of corn and you want to bring the corn to market is you repackage it. And in this area, there were two basic ways to repackage corn. One was to turn it into pigs. <laughs> and the other was to turn it into whiskey. <laughs> Great industries. <laughs> we're not mad about that. Yeah. And so, and so that's what they would do. They would, they would uh, grow corn. They would feed these pigs. And then they would march the pigs to market. And it got to the point where it was in during the Civil War, so the 1860s, before Cincinnati started deciding that it needed somebody to pick up garbage. Because from the founding of Cincinnati up to 1860, pigs just wandered through the streets <laughs> eating anything that you threw out. Oh, my God. Which means they also have waste. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. This this city smelled horrendously. Porkopolis was not a compliment. Oh, that's so sad. Yes. No um, wonder why we drank so much beer. Yeah. In the, uh, in the 1820s, a wonderfully named British woman, Fanny Trollope, mm. came to Cincinnati and, and she wrote a book uh, about uh, her time in Cincinnati. And she, she talks about she and her daughters decide to take a hike up what would have been Mount Adams. And they can't get there because every route to Mount Adams involved wading through a creek of pig blood. <gasps> yeah. Oh my gosh. So so yeah, you got you got lots of pigs and you've got lots of pig waste and that sort of thing. The other thing that you get when you package pigs and 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 a lot of the pigs left Cincinnati in barrels where they were brined. So they, they were butchered and put into barrels and then salt water to preserve them. And then they were shipped all over the world. The leftovers was fat. And mm. so tons and tons of fat, you just dump into the Mill Creek or Deer Creek or any mm. of the water sources around here. So fat was just floating down the creeks. Now, it was garbage for the pork producers, but it was gold if you're going to make candles or soap. You take uh. that fat, you treat it with lye, and it becomes soap. If you rend it and then congeal it, it becomes wax for candles. And so you have James Gamble and William Proctor who are making candles, who are making soap. Uh, you have the Jurgens family who is making uh, soap and cosmetics. And if you look where they're located, they're located on the Mill Creek because what they would do is go out and skim the Mill Creek and bring in this fat. Yeah, because it would be <laughs> it was like a fat just, mine. Why didn't they do like a business deal? Like, hey, just ship us the fat directly instead of yeah, just like, let's they, go out fat. <laughs> we'll, we'll just go down there and scoop it that out. That make of, too much sense, Patrick. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's why these, these other businesses were here. So we start out with corn. It turns into pigs. It turns into soap. It turns into candles. And then as these businesses get bigger and bigger, you need barrels. Yeah. You've got to have barrels to put the put the pigs in. You've got to have salt. You have to ship it somehow. Because yeah. the river, I'm sure, was that was their yeah. main form of transportation too, right? So uh, after, um, I think it was 1811, 
1811, the very first steamboat landed here in Cincinnati. And that was when the lid blew off and trade went crazy. It was also why, you know, the river flows south. And so, and so (laughs) as all these things connect, our customers were Southern. And so when the Civil War shows up, which side is Cincinnati on? Yeah. You know, there, it, it was very controversial to be a Northern supporter or an anti-slave person in Cincinnati. So all these stories connect. So, okay. So then we have those from corn to pigs to consumer products. And you said that's what, what, what year are we in then at that point in time that they're really starting all, to establish All of those themselves. businesses were really in place probably by the 1840s. The, 1840s. the businesses had all been founded by, by about the 1840s. So then this is also just thinking about the, the, the beer industry too. So where does that come yeah, into the, play? That, that would be number two. So the first, they usually celebrate the first brewery in Cincinnati as about 1810, 1811, something like that. And it would have been located, actually, actually uh, it would have been located in the middle of the Smale Park. Yes, so down down by the river. The thing was, the first breweries in Cincinnati would have been English style. So so they would have done they would ales. have done ales and porters and that sort of thing. When the Cincinnati beer industry that we think of got started would have occurred because of the European Revolution of 1848. In 1848 almost the entire continent of Europe was convulsed by revolutions, led mostly by Germans. A lot of revolutionaries turned into fugitives and had to get the heck. So we get all the fugitives. Yeah, had to get the heck out (laughs) of Germany because. Because they were criminals. Yeah, they were criminals. Oh, we started off great. You try to overthrow the emperor, and if you fail, the emperor has got your number. Remember how I talked about the whole, like, you got to learn from the past to move forward thing? Everybody gets a second chance. And so if uh, there were Germans here in Cincinnati very early, one one of the very first uh, mayors uh, was a guy named Ziegler, you know, obviously German. But the big influx would have occurred 1849, 1850, after that year of of revolution in Europe. And they showed up over here and said, what is this piss water you're drinking? (laughs) (laughs) You know, let's let's get some some real beer. Yeah, because they knew. (laughs) And the the method of brewing beer that they brought, this lagering process, fitted in extremely well with Cincinnati because pork production was a seasonal production. Mm. You needed to have cold weather to butcher hogs. You didn't, if, if, if you were in Why warm weather and you're butchering hogs, your, your meat would spoil. Yeah. And so there's this whole rhythm of warm weather, cold weather. And with lagering, you need to cool the beer. And so what they would use to store a lot of um, the meat products was, was caves. They would dig caves. And uh, Cincinnati is, is laced with caves. The hillsides around the downtown basin 
just have all these caves going back into the hillside. The old Metal Blast building yeah. over there on, on McMicken Avenue, that was the old Jackson Brewery. And there's big caves that go back in the hillside under, um, what would it be, uh, Clifton Heights up there, yeah. you know. And so, so there were all these caves around that you could put your lagering barrels in and, and chill the beer while it was, it was fermenting and that sort of thing. And, and the, the light sort of frothy resulting lager just took off in Cincinnati. It, it's interesting that from a national level, Cincinnati was kind of a minor beer producer, not because we made little beer, but because we drank it all. <laughs> That's you know? how we do things here when yeah, you have they, a bunch of fugitives in town. <laughs> yeah, the old uh, advertisement about this is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Well, it made Milwaukee famous because Milwaukee didn't drink all of it, and they sold some. <laughs> That's and, how good our beer was. <laughs> yeah, in St. Louis, uh, they made so much of that that that, that sold. In Cincinnati, I think one of the estimates I read was that 85% of the beer manufactured in Cincinnati up to prohibition was drunk within a mile of that would make sense too. Cause if you think of also just the Cincinnati radius at the time too. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, about 15% of the beer would have gone a little farther out. And, uh, how did we get anything done? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know that most of these breweries, set aside as many as 40 gallons of beer a day for the workers. So, so yeah, but as a, uh, as a consequence, there, there are hidden parts of Cincinnati. You've, you've probably been on the underground tours and yes. over the Rhine, right? And they, they, they figured, well, instead of, instead of getting this stuff out of the cellar and putting it on a, cart and taking it over there we can just roll it to their cellar yes. by, by by cutting another Cut tunnel. The middleman. right and so there's tunnels all over uh all over under underground yeah so we have corn we have pigs so we yeah. have corn we have pigs we have candles we have soap products now we ah. have beer okay now let's get into iron this is one that took off fairly early, you know. And fairly early is what time? Fairly early would have been, pre we probably got a good start on iron in the 1820s, 1830s. Okay, wow, so that's early, early, yeah. Yeah, because you need a lot of things for iron, to make iron. You need a lot of coal, and there's there's not much coal around here. Mm -mm. Um, but there's plenty of coal just upriver, and the key word is upriver. You could yes. load coal on a barge and it would just float right down and you could um, use it to make, make iron in, in Cincinnati. There was a guy named Miles Greenwood who in particular was, was really into iron production. If you go up to Burnett Woods Park, there is a star-shaped shelter right near the corner of uh, Clifton Avenue and Martin Luther King. And that star-shaped shelter is a gift from the citizens of Texas because when Texas was fighting its war of independence, what, what, what we refer to as, as the Mexican War, Cincinnati, Miles Greenwood in particular, sent some cannon 
to Mexico. He had made the cannon here in Cincinnati and sent them to Mexico. They used it in their fight to gain independence from Mexico. And in gratitude, years later, uh, I guess when they were celebrating one of their anniversaries, they contributed the money to build this pavilion. Um, You're welcome, Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everything's bigger. But uh, Miles Greenwood was, uh, he was involved in uh, the first fire engine, first steam fire engine. Oh, wow. So the engineering and everything that was all done here in Cincinnati. That was all, that was all done here. This, this is a um, Cincinnati is one of these places where we have a couple of advanced scientific things that have gone on, but really this is, this is a practical place. This is an engineering place rather than a science place. Mm. And so you run into things like the, uh, the, the first, the first steam engine. Cincinnati got a waterworks in about, oh, it was like 1810, 1815, you know, pretty early on. They were pumping water out of the Ohio River into a pond at the foot of Mount Adams and then distributing this through wooden pipes throughout the city. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in fact, you know, because these pipes are buried in an anaerobic environment, they don't rot. And, and it is not uncommon for people excavating today to run into wooden water mains uh, in Cincinnati that, 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 that date back to the 1820s. And so the reason I bring it up is the city allowed the waterworks to run pipes through the city, but they insisted on every couple of uh, blocks, you had to have access to the pipes in case of fire so mm-hmm. that you could, you could knock out a plug and and these primitive fire hydrants would give you water into the buckets that you would throw. Were those the first on. fire hydrants? They were like the first fire hydrants. What in the, so, so then, did other cities um, replicate what we were what we were doing? We pretty much copied this stuff from from other cities. The interesting thing about Cincinnati, Cincinnati claims a lot of firsts, but, but they're usually fra- they're usually phrased this way. It's the first blankety blank west of the Alleghenies. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really not. Yeah. We're so just like the, the, it. the so, first law school west of the Alleghenies. So the what first, first fi- are we known? Are we known for any first then? Like legitimate, that, like legitimate first. Uh, the first steam fire engine is a le- legitimate first. Uh, no, no other cities uh, had these these engines. They were the first machines that were designed to replace the bucket brigade and they were considered almost miraculous you know other other cities adopted them fairly quickly and of course since they didn't have any of them in their cities they bought them from cincinnati and it fit right in because at the time that this steam fire engine was was being built it had to be mounted on a carriage right horse-drawn carriage yeah yeah and this was a great place for it because Cincinnati made tons of carriages. This was one of the major carriage manufacturing locations uh, in the United States. This was... Um, were we making steamboats too? We were very big on, on steamboats. We even had a suburb. You know, the, the steamboat was invented by Robert Fulton, right? Yeah. And, and up on the Hudson River. But Cincinnati had a suburb named Fulton. Fulton was 
was located at the foot of Mount Adams, a little upriver from Cincinnati. They made lots of steamboats there. They even made ocean-going vessels um, wow. in, okay. in Fulton. All the way up here? Carriages, yes, they, they would make them here and then float them all the way down the Ohio to the Mississippi and out through the Gulf of Mexico. So, so I guess the next question is, we're ma- we've made all this stuff, mm-hmm. we had all these products, we had some first, we had huge industry. What the heck happened? Where did ah, it go? This is, um, Cincinnati got comfortable. That I. That's, that's my a common summary. theme. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they got comfortable. They thought especially after they started putting in locks and dams and and the river became kind of tame. Uh, They just assumed that river boats would, uh, would be carrying everything forever. They really liked building carriages and they thought once people got over this fad of automobiles, you know, they'd be, they'd be back to carriages and buggy. And uh, Henry Ford called and, that one, right? <laughs> and it, it, it took forever for railroads to catch on here. And yeah. when railroads caught on, it was so piecemeal that by the 1920s, there were seven different railroad lines coming into Cincinnati servicing five different terminals. Or, that or, doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yes. So places like Chicago, yeah, who were based right on the lake and could have said, you know, we're going to use lake traffic, said the heck with that, build those railroads. Yeah. <laughs> and all the roads went to Chicago. Relatively few of them went to Cincinnati. Cincinnati was not a great transit center. Could, could we have been that size if we wanted it? if we wanted to be, or was that not even in our cards? There were a lot of, there were a lot of things in our favor. There were a number of things working against us at, at the time that Cincinnati really needed to make the hard decisions. We entered a period where we were run by gangs. Most people have heard of boss Cox. Yes. Boss Cox would have managed run the city of Cincinnati from uh, about 1880 up until, uh, well, he died in 1916, but his his regime lasted into the 1920s. So for about 45 years, you got, you got Boss Cox. Before Boss Cox, on the other hand, you had another political machine that was running the city. It was actually run by the publisher of the Cincinnati Enquirer. He was, uh, he was primarily a Democrat. The, the Enquirer was a Democratic newspaper. But he was just as corrupt as they come. And so Boss Cox was originally seen as the reform person who Hmm. was going to get rid of the gang. He got in and decided, this is good. (laughs) Life life is good. I'm going to keep doing this. And so instead of investing in a new train station, instead of trying to attract the railroads to route through Cincinnati – Instead of promoting, uh, for instance, the fact that during this time period, the the early 1900s, Cincinnati sat smack in the middle of the population centers of the United States. Yeah. We were ideally suited to become the biggest city in the country. And this political 
malfeasance really, really kept that that from co- happening. Wow. One of the one of the things that got through was Cincinnati is the only city in the United States that actually owns a railroad. How, so how did that happen? At some point. The businessmen in the city, recognizing that their customers, as I said, were down in the south, decided that the railroads were not coming through with enough southern routes. Most most of the railroads, even today, coming into Cincinnati, come in from the east and the west, and they wanted a southern route. And so because of the businessmen in the city, Cincinnati built – a railroad route that went from here to Chattanooga, and we still own it. Really, we we, so we lease it out. We lease it out, but but some uh, the people who use that that railroad are still paying leases to to Cincinnati. And the um, the Cox machine did some interesting stuff. For instance, it's legendary in Cincinnati that we screwed up building a subway. <laughs> yes. And, Let's talk about that. <laughs> and and the 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 subway was under construction at a very interesting time in Cincinnati's history. I'd mentioned Cincinnati was a, a huge manufacturer of carriages, mm-hmm. and for for quite a few years, the carriage manufacturers in Cincinnati experimented with putting motors on their carriages, and Cincinnati actually had something like. 20 different automobile manufacturers operating in That's the city of Detroit. The, yeah, th- this this could have been Detroit. Other cities were were doing the same thing. You know, the the reason the Indianapolis Speedway is in Indianapolis is because there were so many automobile manufacturers in Indianapolis that they they wanted a track to test out their automobiles. But Cincinnati had there was actually a, a, a car manufactured here called the Sino, C-I-N-O, uh, which would have been Sino. Cincinnati, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. And and if you look at the advertisements for these these um, manufacturers uh, in Cincinnati, like in the 1918, 1917, that sort of thing, you'll find an Oldsmobile ad, but right next to it will be an ad for a Sino or a um, – one of these other Cincinnati manufactured cars, and it will specifically say this car was designed for Cincinnati's hills. And so that was a a selling point for Cincinnati Hills. So so the catch was, here's the catch. (laughs) You could have a car in Cincinnati, but you couldn't go anywhere because there weren't any roads. That makes it a little, you're going to be running (laughs) over pigs. (laughs) Yeah. Once you got much beyond the city limits, all you had was dirt. And so if you traveled between cities back at this time period, you went by train. You went by an interurban train. And so Cincinnati had a lot of interurban trains, and that's what the subway was designed for. The subway was designed to bring these interurban trains into the city where they could drop off passengers and go back mm-hmm. out. What would happen is you would come in, let's say, from Hamilton. You'd take a train from Hamilton, and the train line would end at Spring Grove Cemetery. And then you would have to get off the train and get on a streetcar and go into the city. That would have been nice transportation for today. I know, right. even today. That's where, still whereas the idea feeling. of the subway yeah. was that the train would come all the way down 
and it would go right into the city and drop you off on 4th Street. So where did everything fall short? There is a huge myth that the subway was badly designed, that it was over budget, a, a whole whole bunch of Sounds reasons. Like <laughs> Why, why it was, it, it, it was uh, supposedly a failure. There's a very interesting book out about the Cincinnati subway that goes into the politics of it. And what it proves, I think pretty conclusively, is that the Cincinnati subway was destroyed by the progressive politicians who kicked out Boss Cox's gang. The subway was started by Boss Cox and his cronies. And it was it was actually kicking along pretty well. There, there was the, uh, you know, your usual graft and corruption and yeah. and that sort of thing. But it was it was designed very well. It would have worked uh, extremely well. And when the new regime came in with the charter form of government, they realized if we let this succeed, people are going to want to go back to the boss form of government. And so we need to we need to shut it down. And they started this rumor campaign. It was it was kind of a fake news campaign that it was badly designed, over budget, uh, never would have worked. Blah 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 and blah. And scrapped it. And just scrapped. So why do you think that we see over time in the city? And I'm sure it happens in other cities too. We can't be you know human nature. History repeating itself with similar politics. Because <laughs> nobody spends their day reading old newspapers all the time like me. <laughs> Maybe that's what we're here for. <laughs> so, you know, Greg Han, you know, what would Greg Han do if he was a politician? <laughs> Moving forward in 2020, going into 2021, knowing what you know. What would Greg Hand do to make this city better? And this could just this could be a one-off thing too. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the one of the things that <laughs> that I keep telling people when city elections come up is that that we have got to get younger people involved. Yeah. Um, in in terms of politics or just in terms of politics, the yeah. The the uh, politics used to be. It, it used to be something that you did early in your career, mm-hmm. that, that it, it, was a, it was a good stepping stone. Uh, if you were going to be a lawyer or something like that, you got involved in politics fair, fairly early. And what I see now is that people get their careers established, and then they decide to go into politics. And as a result, and it's, it's through, you know, it, it, it's, I'm not going to just, blame old people, but uh, <laughs> you, you spend some time developing modes of thought that are yeah. hard to break, mm. you know, instead it's an of unconditional bias at that point in time. Yeah. Instead of, instead of being open to, to fresh ideas and, and that sort of thing, you know, the, uh, you can point to a dozen things that might make things better. For instance, yeah. why do we have what is it, 60 municipalities in Hamilton County, each with their own fire department, police department? Why do we have large areas of the county that don't have sewer service yet? You That's know, why do we have an international airport in another state? But what did you say? I guess like that's a, a, just wanted to touch on that, that 
people usually point to that airport as a success though mm-hmm. story yeah. of collaboration do you think more that how, how can i guess knowing what you know about our past what can, what are other projects that we could collaborate on with like the other states around here you know indiana kentucky you know the the um the idea of interurban trains isn't a bad idea. Yes, yes, <laughs> you know? that is a goal. That is a, that is a goal. I mean, of why? why <laughs> if if you're going to catch a train in Cincinnati, yes. uh, you got to do it at three a.m. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, we, we, yeah, and and but something that's more of a light rail would be nice. Yeah, that's that, not that, gonna... that 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 kind of thing. We we tend to replicate industries rather than allocate them. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Uh, we have a number of medium industries in Cincinnati that maybe if uh, Indianapolis took on the heavy lifting, we could take on the heavy lifting for for something else. Yeah, because I like to think, you know, if we were comparable to other cities across the U.S., what cities would we compare to and how could we maybe implement things that they're doing well? Yeah, I guess, question. quick question, I guess, before we start wrapping things up. Yeah. What city should we be looking at, or should we try be trying our own thing? Oh, in the, in the city? Yeah is, there, yeah, is there a city that we that's similar to us in nature that we could look to to improve what's going on and within the tri-state, too? Because it becomes different, the fact that we're dealing with three states in one area, so that's that makes it a little bit more complicated. But that we can look to and say, ooh, they're doing that well, and that is feasible to replicate here. You know, I, I, I think replicating can t- only take you so far. I, mm-hmm. I think the, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm suggesting looking toward young people is I would like somebody to totally rethink what a city is. Mm, I like that. We've got within the city 52 neighborhoods. Yes, and, that's so many. And each one of the neighborhoods is trying to develop, for instance, its own business district. You know, so each each one wants wants to have a, a coffee shop and a brewery, and mm-hmm. you know, if we had, for instance, a real transportation system, you could go to Hyde Park for your coffee, and and get your beer in Westwood. <laughs> That would be nice. Yes. <laughs> and who's to say that we can't have individual coffee shops, right? Right. It's, it's just that we're, each neighborhood is trying to replicate itself, and they're measuring themselves by what, by what other neighborhoods have. Uh, why isn't one of the neighborhoods the art neighborhood? Why isn't one of the neighborhoods the manufacturing neighborhood? Yeah. How do you, how do you fit the suburbs into this, too? And I'm thinking within the 275 loop. Oh yeah, the um, oh my goodness, the the trying to get them to talk about what used to be called muni government is almost impossible, simply because the people who are leading the conversation are all older than sixty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it goes back to again young yeah. young. But voices. but if you if you yeah. look at just two examples that are nearby, Columbus and Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically incorporated their, their whole, their whole counties and they're not perfect, but uh, a lot of, yeah, a lot of, is that just powering through into the unknown a little bit? Yeah. I think that's honestly 
great place to end. I, like, I feel yeah. very empowered to <laughs> accomplish all right? the things. I'm super excited. This actually is perfect a perfect first episode for us because yeah. we one of our goals, Greg, is to really encourage you know, businesses and, you know, other generations to like all come together, you know, make Cincinnati what it could be. So we're super excited to have you on as our first guest. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I'm ready to take on the world (laughs) after listening to Greg. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) who knew history could be so inspiring? (laughs) And I mean, we obviously have to have him back sometime because I feel like we barely scratched the surface. (laughs) But yeah, I'm ready to go make things happen. One thing that really stood out to me that he said was we got comfortable. Mm. And I don't know why, but I still feel like this city has that aura of always feeling comfortable. Now, keep in mind, we're in a really great place where it's like our climate's pretty mild all the time. We have access to everything. We are truly a hidden gem in so many different ways. Mm. But... There are also times where I get a little frustrated, which like a little bit. Where's the eye of the tiger? Well, it's like I want to shake my friends and be like, snap out of it. Like, think bigger. Like, there's so much potential here. And but people are comfortable. And I mean, not to say that's wrong. It's just if we want to be innovative and move forward, we need people to. Little bit of sense of urgency. Mm. But at the same time, you know, I don't know. You may be in the same boat, too, where I've had friends who have moved to this city or, you know, classic case, people from here, they leave and they come back because we are a little bit, again, of that hidden gem. Mm. The cost of living is low. There's still a little bit of everything happening in this city, which it seems going back in time with what Greg said, we had a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we were making, we had, you could purchase anything in this city which is and was from here would be amazing yeah <laughs> when was the last time you bought a shirt that's with a tag that said made in cincinnati <laughs> i don't think i've ever <laughs> never that's not going to be happening anytime soon but again there was that time where that was a thing and not to say we're going to be going back to that by any means but feeling that sense of accomplishment and achievement mm. and uh innovation like you just said that's what i hope that we can reach and i couldn't agree more with public transit. Oh my God. It is. I, <laughs> we're going to make this happen. Goal. We are making, this is only the first episode and we're already on a mission of, we're going to be figuring out a way to create some crazy public light rail transit system. <laughs> we're going to bring back the subway system from the 1920s. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the funny thing is the tunnels are still all under our city. So, we have to maintain it somehow because we have buildings on top of it. Yeah. So if we're going to use our money to maintain it, might as well use them. This gets me really excited. So this will then lead us into our next episode with Craig Manis. Craig, I, you know, calling Greg, Greg and Craig. Greg Tons is who we just talked to. <laughs> and he's he is the Cincinnati guru. Craig is our gatekeeper of Cincinnati. And he knows almost everything that you could possibly know about brewing and prohibition. And that will then lead us later into our future guests of our entrepreneurs that we'll be talking to in episode three. So this has been, I don't know about it's you. It's been Grace. super informative. Super informative. And actually it makes me super excited for what's going to, what, what we're going to learn as we do more episodes yes. and learn from all these people and what can we accomplish next from us? I'm excited. I don't know. And and chime in with your ideas, right? This is just the beginning. What are things that you love about the city? What are things that you might want to change about the city? And we want feedback. Yeah. You know, we're going to make Facebook, this a, yeah. Instagram. 
Uh, conversation. Twitter. Let's start this conversation. Please subscribe and like us, review us. Um, hopefully five stars, please. Um, <laughs> shameless plug. Uh, like I said, we're going to make this a thing. We're going to build a community. Um, we will hopefully eventually have a newsletter, fingers crossed. We, we hope actually things come out of this. And let's uh, prost Cheers. to innovation. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or other financial interest in the companies which appear on this show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts Company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employ us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation, nor provided any investment or legal advice on this show. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync.